Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Gathering Ground. I'm Mary Morton, your host and president of Morton Group LLC, a national consulting firm based in Chicago. This month, we are thrilled to start a new series on Gathering Ground called Inside MG. This is going to give you an inside look into how we do what we do at Morton Group. Every member of our team is essential in collaborating with our client partners in the vital work they're doing, and I want to introduce you to some of them today. For our first Inside MG conversation, I'm very excited to be joined by Morton Group Senior Project Director, Geneva Porter, and our Client Relations and Project Management Director, Sarah Menke. And you're going to hear all about executive placement at Morton Group. Now, between the two of them, Geneva and Sarah have overseen and managed countless searches, including organizations like Forefront, Woods Fund Chicago, Pride Foundation, Grassroots Collaborative, and AIDS Foundation Chicago. When we are entrenched in our work, it is often hard to find time to explore trends and discuss high-level themes. So I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Hello and welcome, Sarah and Geneva. How are you? We're doing good. How are you doing? I am well. I know it's a little odd to be on this side of the table, so to speak. Geneva, how are you? I am doing wonderfully. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have this conversation today. Excellent. So let's start, though, as we start every podcast, right, with a little bit of background. Um, want to just give our listeners a little bit about your own background and, and, and you know, kind of a little bit about where you grew up and those kinds of things. And then how, how did you get to Morton Group? What led you to Morton Group? And we're going to start with you, Sarah. Great. Um, so uh, Sarah, my pronouns are she and her. And I grew up on uh, the south, southwest side um, in a suburb right next to Chicago, Evergreen Park, Illinois. Um, and that's where my parents still live. And then I went to college in central Illinois, and I have a, a theater background, um, like many of us do at Morton Group. And as I was going through my education, really started leaning towards theater for social justice, for social change, doing work in the community, specifically around theater. And so that's where um, I was led after I graduated college and then um, had moved out to Seattle, did some theater and some education work out there, and then moved back to Chicago and um, had worked with somebody who knew Mary. And when I got back from Seattle, she asked if I was interested in, in working for this social change consulting firm. And uh, the rest is sort of history. That was six years ago now, um, which is really hard to believe. Yes, 2017. You started as an administrative coordinator, and here you are today as a at the director level, because you do extraordinary work. Let me just say that's why you're. Oh, thank you. Um, so let's hear from um, you, Geneva. How did you get to Morton Group? But tell us a little bit about your background and growing up in the D. Yes, <laughs> born and raised Detroiter for my whole life, um, but I've spent most of my adult life here in Chicago. So Geneva Porter, my pronouns are she and her. Um, my background is public health. And so I've been in various positions at the city, county, as well as state um, levels within Chicago and the um, suburban Cook County. And like I said, the state. And although that's my foundation, I feel as though I've weaved in and out of consulting. 
have done different types of consulting before. Um, our, my past has crossed with Mary uh, professionally um, earlier in my career. And then I was um, happy to get reconnected at a time when I was trying to figure out my next steps in my career. And so having done public health, having done some consulting, um, and then heard through a mutual friend and colleague that Mary Morton at Morton Group might be looking for some additional help and you should reach out to her, Geneva. And so I did that about four and a half years ago and then just had my fourth anniversary here at Morton Group. I'm happy to say that. It's it's really unbelievable that four years has passed. and. Um, I honestly, it's hard to believe that we've only been working together four years because you've become also invaluable to the team. So thank you for all that you do as well. Um, we want to start by just giving you an overview on how we do executive search. And, and let me just note that everyone does it in a slightly different manner, right? Um, and that's fine, right? We, our work is grounded in a particular way um, around equity, and we'll talk more about that. However, um, how we describe our work and how you may have experienced going through an executive search may be very different, um, but we think it's important to at least give you a basis, right? Some um, a context for how we work with candidates and how we work with client partners. And something I'll just say at the beginning uh, that we always talk to our client partners or potential client partners about is how important we think it is uh, with regard to how we, how the candidates are treated in a process. You know, we want to make sure that the candidates feel like they're being taken care of. And we know we've heard the stories where that has not been the case. So we'll get to all that. But let's start with um, sort of the executive search process, the MG way. Who wants to talk about that? I can. Um, I, or I can get us started at least. Uh, so Morton Group, when we do executive searches, we are with the organization. And as Mary mentioned, the candidates from start to finish. So that looks like working with an organization, hearing feedback from staff and board and potentially external stakeholders about where the organization is, what the future of the organization might look like, and what are those top qualities, skills, and experiences that they're looking for in their next staff leader. And then we also will talk to the current executive if they're still available to, to get an exit interview with them and hear directly from them about their experience and where the organization is headed. And then we put together an opportunity profile. We take all of that information that we learn, put together an opportunity profile that we use with the outreach. We conduct all of the outreach. We're sourcing candidates both on higher level job boards, national listservs, as well as um, that more in-depth one-on-one conversations that we have with organizations and potential applicants. We review the applications. We then put forward um, for client partners, um, folks that we have screened. So we conduct 30-minute phone screening interviews uh, initially with applicants. And then after that screening process, and when we have that meeting with the organization about who we recommend to see in a first round interview, we then facilitate the interview process. And I will say, once we get there, it's really when our 
relationship with the candidates really starts to develop in terms of coaching them through the process and making sure they feel prepared as they meet with the transition committee. And then we facilitate those interviews and we get to a place where we're able to have a final candidate that meets with the staff and the board. And then the organization and the transition committee is in a place to vote on the final candidate. We then facilitate the offer with the candidate, do those negotiations. Um, and lastly, once we have a signed and sealed and delivered offer letter, um, we work with the organizations on putting together a 90-day onboarding plan um, to make sure that the organization and the candidate is set up for success once they get started. Thanks, Sarah. That was really a great overview. And I want to turn to you, Geneva, and ask, what, what are some of the factors that may impede the process and how do we stay flexible? Yeah. I think that's um, the million dollar question. Um, I think some things that can impede the process is if we don't have a clear understanding of what the client partner is looking for. Um, and sometimes it turns out that they may not have known for sure until we actually start engaging them and asking them questions. And they may think that they're all on the same page, but a lot of times we find out that that's not the case. And so it's our job to try to um, coalesce and work with um, the folks within the organization so that we can come up with, at the end of the day, what are the three main um, qualities or experiences that this person would need to um, have in order to be successful in this particular role. And so sometimes that can be hard. That can be a hard process because it really gets down to comparison of different candidates. And what we are known to do is find the best candidate for that position. And so I would say without that open and honest conversations with the client partner, as well as with candidates too, because we always say that as much as we have client partners and they're the ones that are paying us to find um, this person, we're also working with candidates who are interviewing the organization as well. And so we want to make sure that they feel as though their questions and concerns are answered as well so that we can move forward um, in an open and authentic way so that the best match can be made. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense, of course. And one of the pieces that we always want to share, one of the, the um, sort of pieces of advice that we always want to give to our client partners during a search is not to compare the candidates to the outgoing CEO or executive director, which is, again, you know, very much just, it, it makes a lot of sense to do that. Uh, it happens very naturally, yet it is not necessarily, uh, of course, fair to the, in, the you know, the, the uh, incoming candidates. Um, but to your point, there is, there is absolutely comparison among the candidates, right? At the end of the day, that's going to be necessary. So what do you think sets us apart from other firms uh, in terms of doing uh, this executive search work? Sarah? To start, because executive placements is one aspect of the work that Morton Group does. So we also work in general organizational development, things like board development, uh, strategic planning, resource development. We also, of course, have our Equity Institute, where we're working with organizations around racial equity, access, diversity, and inclusion, um, organizational implementation, as well as freestanding research projects. So I think we come to executive placements really with a holistic approach. 
um, and are able to provide consultation to the organization, not just within the executive placement process, but looking at the bigger picture of where the organization is at and how this search and the incoming executive director or CEO plays into that and what really is needed um, organizationally for that person to come in and be successful and to make that transition in a successful way. Yeah, that, very important points there. I particularly want to just talk a little bit about this idea of making sure that we have a successful placement and to make sure that the person uh, that is selected as the final candidate um, is being set up for success. And because we have a great track record with placing uh, women and um, folks of color, um, people often come to us with that in mind. Yet what we find out is that they may not have done the work necessary uh, inside the organization to be ready let's say for their first uh, woman or their first person of color in that leadership role. And so um, because to your point, Sarah, we do work uh, around racial equity, access, diversity, and inclusion, we can supplement what might be a general kind of search process with um, additional information and resources so that the organization can continue to do that work. And, and, And in some cases, they may just be starting that work. And so that's a very important, I think, distinction. Are there other things that you think, um, Geneva, that set us apart from other groups doing this work? Yeah, I think another thing that would set us apart is to the point of, so using the example of organizations that um, are coming to us because of our record and um, the folks that we are able, that we place, we ask questions about if they have shared with us that they believe this position um, to be a woman or a person of color or uh, what have you that, you know, being able to ask them questions about what things they may have in place or what they don't have in place. Because what we don't want to happen is to bring this fantastic person to the organization and the organization is not ready to really support them in the way they, they may need to be supported. For example, if this is the first time a woman has run, you know, has um, been in um, leadership at the organization, what things are in place in order to help set her up for success or set them up for success. And so when we talk about, you know, the readiness of an organization for these particular roles, we want to make sure that um, we can let them know about the resources we have, but also even in the search process itself, Um, client partners may say that. And then we ask, well, what kind of recruitment have you done thus far? And so it's kind of like they've done the same kind of outreach. They've done the same kind of postings. And so what sets us apart is the fact that we'll go to specific um, networks that we have um, within our organization. We'll be able to go to associations. We'll be able to talk to folks who have gone through similar searches with us before and expanded our networks. And so we, we, we know you can't do the same type of thing um, and expect to reach people of color and women because not that they're not out there, but you have to, you have to do different things. You can't use a cookie cutter approach in order to um, recruit uh, people and source candidates. Absolutely. And I think um, the idea that you're recruiting in the same way you've always recruited, then you're going to get the same kind of people. Mm-hmm. And and if you're saying you really are interested in diversifying your your um, staff uh, team, 
then you must do something that is different. And in particular, and this is what we often are saying to, um, I think, uh, potential client partners, is that you know an executive search is going to generally take four to six months, generally. And if someone, if an organization feels particularly um, inclined to you know, really have a, a very strong, diverse pool of candidates, which we certainly encourage, um, that means that it's going to take a little bit longer. Because to your point, Geneva, the people of color are out there, but they're not as many, period. It's simple mathematics. And so that means that you're going to maybe look a little longer and look in some different ways. And so to your point, we have some of those those uh, connections. And, and that's why I think we've been able to really be successful in that area. So let's talk a little bit about trends in executive search work, right? We often talk about some of the things we're seeing. We consider ourselves a learning organization. And so we're always sharing articles and talking about just what's happening. And so first of all, we know that certainly in our own work uh, in Morton Group in the last year and a half, um, we've gone from really um, having um, organizations wait to work with us around racial equity work. Um, we've seen that change so that um, executive placements, executive searches are really what's leading uh, the work that we're doing now. And so when we look at some of the trends that we're, we're seeing in executive search work, here's a couple of things to think about. Nearly seven in 10 Gen Z employees in America indicate that they're less motivated at work if a company's values don't align with their own. And so, you know, what we keep here, it's the culture, right? It's all about the culture. And so um, it's really become clear. And I think some of this is really um, sort of as a result of what's happened, as a result of people having a lot more time to think about the workplace during COVID. Um, certainly we know the racial reckoning occurred in the last you know, couple of years. And, and again, while we saw a great increase in our work around racial equity, we know that the stats uh, have indicated, and we see this as well, that people have started really to backslide, if you will, in terms of their commitment to doing racial equity work, their interest in it, the resources they'll put toward it. Uh, that, you know, that happened probably a lot faster than I thought it would in terms of people come, pulling back from that. So what we also have heard about is the great resignation, right? And so we're seeing some of that. Um, the first quarter of the year in September are really times when we see lots of activity around searches. I mean, we do them all year, of course, but we, you know, know that in you know this first quarter, uh, and certainly again in September, that seems to be a period when people, you know, maybe thought about their future over the holidays and decided I'm gonna you know leave my job or I'm gonna do something different in the new year. And similarly in the fall, people have taken vacations, they've gotten settled in for the fall. I think I'm gonna look for a new job. So when we think about the culture, and 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 you've been talking to candidates much more than I have recently. What have you heard about culture and and how important it is? I would say that um, one of the things that um, I've heard is, to your point about the great resignation and people kind of making life changes. So really, I think with the um, uh, the increased awareness <laughs> that there are racial inequities, as well as with the, the COVID pandemic, People are really at a point of reassessing and reprioritizing what's important to them. And so most people have to work. And so for those that have to work 
and enjoy what they do, that's a sweet spot. And so for folks that have been kind of, you know, surviving in their jobs and not really thriving, maybe using this opportunity to kind of say, okay, what else is out there? Or what what will fit within my my needs to have more time for myself, my needs to be able to, um, you know, have, you know, we talk a lot about like work-life balance and there's never really a true balance, but how can the scales be balanced in a way that works for people individually? Um, more people might want to be able to be more intentional with taking vacations. So thinking about what kind of vacation packages, um, different sectors even. I mean, we've, we've, we've seen some people leave kind of like, the sector within a nonprofit or within a foundation to do something totally different. And so I think there's a lot of um, things going on at the same time that makes it this time right for people to kind of consider other opportunities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think it, it, it is important for um, organizations to understand that people have a lot of opportunities available to them, right? We know that in every industry, not just in the social impact sector, not just in for-profit and corporate, every single industry, people are needed and people have some options. And um, as you all know, it is not unusual. And, and we, again, we try to tell our client partners about this at the beginning of any search process to get to usually the presentation round and have folks pull out, right? Because they have another opportunity. And we generally know if that's gonna happen, although sometimes we're surprised. We are always asking about other opportunities um, that a, a candidate might be exploring. Uh, more often than not, people are forthcoming about that. Uh, however, um, it happens in many searches that we will get to a finalist stage or right before the finalist stage and we're losing candidates. And that's because one, they have lots of opportunities. And in some cases, they, they're interested in this role. However, they're on a different timeline. And we want to talk a little bit about timeline and how that impacts and, and why in some cases, what we, we understand from some data is that um, the interview process itself has been truncated a little bit. Like people aren't spending as much time as they could be in the interview process. And important to note that at the end of a process with any candidate, we likely know the candidate in a different way right, than the organization will. Yet what we often are saying is it's important that you're not jumping through any hoops because this candidate might have another offer. You, you know, that's, that's not advised. And um, that generally means that that's not your person, right? Because we want to make sure that people have a connection to the mission of the organization and that it's just not another CEO or ED role. And, and, th and there are some folks, and this is not, you know, any, anything to pass judgment on, but there's some folks who just want a staff leadership role. They don't care whether it's in youth services. They don't care if it's, it's in um, literacy. They, that's not, their interest is being in that kind of executive role. And what an organization wants is, yes, they want that kind of experience, yet they also want people who are committed to the mission of the organization. And how have you seen this play out, Sarah? I mean, I know you've been the recipient of some of those emails uh, and calls when we're, you know, we think we're getting ready to, um, to, um, you know, to close a search or to go into the final stages. And then we're surprised because a candidate has moved out of the process. 
Yeah. We say to organizations at the beginning that it happens. And then inevitably when it happens, there's still that like heart sink feeling. Um, And to your point, Mary, it ha- we've seen be- it's because candidates are in other searches and they're engaged in other opportunities. We've also seen things outside of that. So around personal, um, personal things such as having in terms of timing of a move or um, their partner's job or their family member, they have to be with a family member. Um, so it's a variety of things. And being able to to communicate to the organization, our client partner that we're working with, um, just as you said, Mary, that that's not, it's not meant to be. And as much as that is so hard to hear in the moment, um, that really is part of our job in facilitating the executive placement process is to manage those expectations and manage all of the different sort of feelings that come up. Um, through this transition process, because it's it can be hard um, for organizations. And it's a, just a very anxiety producing time um, for an organization when they're going through this sort of um, transitional period and, and finding a new leader. There's the stakes feel high. And our job yeah. is to really ensure um, both the organizations as well as the candidates that we got you. We're going we're gonna to go through this process with you. And um, it may not have been the outcome that you had initially expected when we began the process, but it is going to, to work out just fine. Yes. So one of the pieces we're going to move to next is talking about an upcoming workshop that we have uh, titled How to Interview, or maybe How Not to Interview, um, because we have, I can't even tell you how many examples of things you should not do in an interview process. And, and part of our process is to make sure that people are prepped in between the different stages of the interview. So if you're an individual who is looking for uh, a new role and you'd like some interview tips, we're gonna give you some right after the break, but we're also going to um, offer a workshop uh, later in the year about um, really the, the important ways and the important ideas to keep in mind when you are interviewing because competition is fierce and um, there are many different phases that you have to go through in a process. And so we think it would be helpful to share some of those uh, tips uh, with you. And we're going to do that right after a very short break. You're listening to Gathering Ground. We're back in a moment. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on Gathering Ground. We want to hear from you. If you have any questions about your work in nonprofits or any of the topics that we've covered here on Gathering Ground, send them on in. Send them to mary at gatheringgroundpodcast.com. That's mary at gatheringgroundpodcast, all one word, dot com. We look forward to hearing from you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Gathering Ground. Part of our Inside MG series is to give you the real insider's view of a particular process that we engage with at Morton Group. And right now we're going to talk about tips for job seekers. So here are our five tips for job seekers. And we're going to go through each one of these. I hope you have pen and paper. Very important. Number one seems really simple. Follow the directions. 
and Geneva. And Sarah, I'm going to ask you, what do you have to say about that? Geneva and I are both like nodding our heads and also shaking our heads of, ooh, yes. I know this sounds so simple, but it starts with when you read that opportunity profile, that job description, what are the instructions for how you should apply? Are they asking for you to submit your materials in PDFs? You submit them in PDFs. Are they asking you to fill out a form that includes specific information? you fill out that information. Because on the back end, that really is providing us at Morton Group and, and anybody who's conducting the search with some key information that they need um, on the back end to make the process simpler. Absolutely. And, and it just is a real indication at a very early part of the process, can you follow directions? Will you do what we're asking you to do? And that tells us something right off the bat. You know, a number of years ago, you may remember this, Sarah, um, we had a couple of candidates for a search we were doing inside a, a federally qualified healthcare center. And we had some folks who really did not understand how to apply. So they not only did they not, under, did they not apply correctly, but they also um, did not have documents that were in, I would say... Um, the best shape possible, right? In terms of putting your best self forward. And so, and that was, that, that was several years ago when we could do this kind of thing. And when I was more involved, um, as you know, on occasion, I've called folks and said, we're not going to pull you forward in this process. However, I think it's really important for you to know that your resume, X, Y, and Z, your cover letter, you know, we we in general are not going to, and that's because of our commitment to equity, going to necessarily pull someone because they have a typo in their letter. Um, however, if that letter goes as it is to the uh, committee, they may pull it or they may say, this is a reason why we don't want to see them. Even though everything else was wonderful and brilliant, why is this detail been overlooked? And we can't predict that one way or the other. And so, uh, as I said, in some instances, even if we couldn't pull someone forward, because I know no one's getting this information, no one is generally going to call you back and say, your resume is confusing. The font that you thought was interesting is really hard to read. And generally, there's so many applications that we're looking, not looking for reasons to disqualify folks, but you want to make sure you have the, the best group possible. And if I can't even read your resume because you've used this really curly font that is not helpful, you know? So make sure that your resume is, is in shape uh, and, and follow the directions, absolutely. So here's another one. Show us who you are, not who you think we want to see. Geneva, what does that mean? Yes, yes. And so when we coach folks that are in, um, within the candidacy, we really, sh- we really tell them, you know, be yourself. Don't use a lot of jargon. Don't, um, you know, say things that you haven't done. And that's like an extreme example, but really be yourself because it's important that the organization or the search committee, transition committee, whatever group we're working with within the organization for a search, that they're able to say, okay, well, I can see who this person is. Minimally, you know, you don't get to know somebody until like down the road and after working with them for a while. But that initial, those first impressions, you want to have a sense of authenticity, that people feel comfortable. And if you are trying to be who you think they're looking for or what you've read and you say, okay, well, that's not me, but let me just put on an air or do something different, that's going to come through. 
that that lack of authenticity will come through and people might not be able to name what it is, but they won't feel comfortable. And so that's mm-hmm. why we say always just be yourself because you want to you want to be with an organization that accepts you as you are, where you can bring your full authentic self. So you might as well start in the beginning because the worst thing to happen is to get through the process and then you're like, okay, now I can be myself. That's not like, hopefully you would have been yourself the whole time. So I think that's part of it with respect to um, that particular tip. Just, you know, be who you are and not who you think, you know, the organization is looking for. So the next um, tip is stay ready. And something that I want to just interject before you respond to uh, what this tip means is that there are times when we see people who have not been in the job market in a while. And that is clear that they have not been in the job market in a while. And part of that is that they are using um, terms that are um, that maybe you used a while ago, but we now know are mm-hmm. not appropriate, that are classist, that are racist, that are sexist, that are homophobic, whatever the case may be. Yes. And they may have little idiosyncrasies, um, you know, in, the, in, in just how they show up in a place. And so a number of years ago, we had someone in a search who had been in their role for 20 years. They were interviewing for the first time. And I kid you not when I say that every time they started to make a response, and, and this was all in person, they would use air quotes. <laughs> I mean, every, just about every single time. And I'd never seen that before, or else I would have, obviously, I, I would have uh, you know, brought that to their attention and said, that's not something you want to do in the actual interview process. <laughs> um, but did that consistently. And it was, as you can imagine, just something that was, became very frustrating for those on the committee, those of us in the room. Yet this person had not, again, had not been interviewing in a while. We did do our prep with them. We did, you know, they had been screened. Um, yet that was something, you know, that they couldn't overcome. And so those kind of idiosyncrasies, if you will, um, are, are going to make a difference in an interview process. And while we have done 90%, 95% of every interview that we've done since 2020 uh, virtually, um, as you both know, as we get to the later stages um, and more recently in the last year and a half or so, people have said, okay, we need to see these folks in person. Like we need to get them in a room in some way or another. And so we've made that happen as well. However, for the most part, most of our our searches were done completely, you know, in a, in a virtual, virtual format. So mm-hmm. what does stay ready mean from, from your perspective, Sarah? Stay ready means in terms of the doing it via video is that you're testing your tech beforehand, um, whatever platform that they are using to do the interview that you are as prepared as possible and done research around that platform, testing your lighting, making sure that you can be seen is really important um, in a virtual interview, things like preparing. We always are going to get to the, usually the end of the interview round and ask you for your questions. So do some research, think a little bit about what are your questions? Because at the end of the day, you're also the candidate is also interviewing the organization and you're the candidate is trying to get a sense of do I, is this an organization? Is this a a group that I want to be a part of as well? So make sure that you come prepared with questions and also be mindful, be open um, and listening, reading in between the lines, so to speak of what are they really asking 
And what are those follow-up questions that they have about something on your resume or in a previous interview? And then you know, if you're moving forward to the next round, to give a little bit more detail about your, say, fundraising experience or um, your programmatic experience in X thing. And Sarah, I would add too that part of that staying ready too is also being clear. If you miss, if you're not sure of what the question is, or you need it repeated, that's okay. Like, don't be so quick to answer the question if you're not really sure of what the question is. And so, right. I, we've been in interviews where people have said, "I'm sorry, I'm not. I don't think I'm understanding. This is what I'm hearing you say. Is this what?" And people say, "No, actually, what I meant was that." Or we learned that maybe that question could be asked right. in a little more clear way. Right. Um, and so there should always be that comfort level to add. And that shows that you're being thoughtful and you're being intentional um, exactly. if you ask for clarity. It, right. And so it's okay to take a beat or two after the question, right? To think about it. It's okay if you want to jot down notes or you have notes with you. Um, that does not work against you. Uh, and in fact, it, it makes people think you're prepared, you know, in, in many mm-hmm. cases. And so... Um, and, and the most, you know, one of the things is always to just keep breathing, right? Because you're nervous. Um, and in some cases, people are more nervous about it being done virtually, which is still how they're going to start, even if they don't end in the final processes that way, they're going to start virtually. Um, that's, I think, pretty much set at this point. And um, because we can, everyone can be more efficient and getting committees together is always, as we refer to it, the calendar dance, right? Mm. So um, let's look at a, another tip here. Apply with intention and without limitation. Sarah, what does that mean from your vantage point? We talked a little bit about this prior, but there is research that white men in particular will apply for a job, even if they meet a few, three-ish of those application criteria, those qualities or qualifications. Um, However, we know that women, um, gender nonconforming, BIPOC individuals, when they look at a job description, if they don't have every single one of those qualifications, they're hesitant to apply at all. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking at a job description, when you're looking at an opportunity profile, even if you feel like you don't meet or don't have the exact right experience in every single one of those qualifications listed, apply anyways. Throw your hat in the ring. See what happens. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's true. And it's really important. And I, I've said this to candidates that we worked with, that we worked with a candidate uh, a couple years ago who had been in his role for 12 years, was living in New York, um, and uh, we were doing a search on the uh, West Coast. And I went to him and said, I think you you should apply for this. And they were like, oh, I don't know. I said, well, first of all, you've already indicated you want to leave your current position and you haven't interviewed anywhere in quite some time. So it would be a good idea for you to get back. You know, it, it is to some degree like riding a bike, but you do have to practice. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as it turned out, uh, that person did go into the search and they ended up getting that role as you know. And so that was a wonderful thing. But it was really important. And it is really important for people to feel comfortable interviewing, because let me just say, it is in some ways an art, right, to understand how much to say, when you should say more, when you shouldn't say, when you're saying too much, all those kinds of things. And and as we've already talked about, uh, being prepared. Yes. Yes. When you have worked um, with 
various client partners, what are the the times when you think, you know, this is this is why this is important. This is why the this work matters, and it and this is why having an equity um, context and equity frame, if you will, is important in terms of how we do this at Morton Group. And I'll start with you, Geneva. Yeah. And so I would say this this is related to something we've talked we we're talking about um, earlier in this conversation, um, particularly when you think about when client partners say that they are looking for, you know, they think a person of color, that it's time that this organization was led by a person of color. And so they have in their mind that that is the case. Um, however, what is the work that's been done around that? And then on the job seeker side, when organize, when folks are maybe moving up, maybe they've been in the C-suite, uh, but never been a president or CEO or, or executive director, having that confidence to, based on the work that they've done already and feeling as though they're re- ready to move into this kind of like next level within their professional career, you know, and they're looking at the website for the organization that has the opportunity profile and they don't see any other people of color at the leadership level. They look at the board of directors. They don't see it there either. And so then it's kind of like, okay, where you say this is where they're headed. um, But that can be, you know, that that can be scary. Um, And people can question, is this organization a place where, you know, I'll feel I'll be included even as the leader of the organization. So I would say that's exactly Mm-hmm. It's just not as though we haven't heard those stories. Right. We, 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 this, we're not making this up. We actually uh, have had these kinds of instances um, happen um, when organizations have not done their work to get ready uh, for a very different type of leader. Sarah, what do, you, what do you think about this? Yeah, for me, when we have those conversations with transition committees and we're debriefing about an interview or we're getting down to those um, decision-making points and we're human beings and human beings come with bias and have that implicit bias. And so I really value our work and our background in equity in particular in those moments where we can recognize that bias when it presents itself in these conversations and to be able to then ask the question to the transition committee, to that one person saying, you know, what do you mean by that? Or can we, let's talk about this. Um, And being able to facilitate those conversations um, and and hold the group through that, I think is really important in a a placement process. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sarah. We have lots more stories we can share with you and we will do so, or I should say Geneva and Sarah will do so. Um, when they host our workshop, Finding the Right Fit, Do's and Don'ts for Job Seekers. Follow us on social media. Um, we will put out information about this. It'll be in the next several months, but we want to make sure that you're on the list. So make sure you sign up to get this information from us. Um, but it's going to be a professional development session, and they'll take a deep dive into sharing what we've learned in the, oh my goodness, the scores and scores of searches that we've seen <laughs> at Morton Group and um, how it can help you find your best fit for your new role. So I want to thank both of you for joining me today. I know this, at least for Sarah, was the first time. How did it feel? 
It felt good. It felt good. I am proud of myself and proud of us. <laughs> and, and thank you, Geneva. Any any closing comments? No, I would just say, though, that for those, well, yes, I would say for those <laughs> that are, um, you know, thinking about making a move or just thinking about what they might, what might be the next steps. We do use like a fully automated application process. And so earlier when we were talking about how we receive um, candidates and how people apply, we're able to connect with folks as soon as they hit submit. So as soon as they apply for positions that we're doing searches for. And so I think that's another thing that kind of um, puts us um, in a good place to really have this boutique uh, or provide this boutique experience for um, people that are searching for their next position, as well as those client partners um, that are trusting us to help them find their next leader. Absolutely. So you can go to mortongroup.com and uh, you can check out um, any open searches. And if you'd like to talk to us about um, what you're looking for, we're happy to have that conversation with you as well. Uh, without applying for a role, I should say. And if you or someone you know is looking for an executive or senior level position, uh, we want to make sure that you subscribe to our newsletter for all of our executive search postings and updates. And as I said, some of them you'll find on the website, but you'll also get some different information in our newsletter. So please sign up. You can find us online at Gathering Ground, uh, gatheringgroundpodcast.com. Uh, we would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe um, to the podcast so that you'll know whenever we drop a new episode. And of course, you can find us online at mortongroup.com, on LinkedIn and Facebook, Morton Group LLC. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Gathering Ground and the first Inside MG series. Until next time, I'm Mary Morton. Thank you.